In our gospel reading this morning, which is a familiar one to us, we discover that the purpose of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we're in this series in the Sermon on the Mount, and we discover this morning that the purpose of his teaching here is to shape a community that will be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city set on a hill. It is in his book, The Moral Vision of the New Testament, uh, a New Testament scholar at Duke University named Richard Hayes. You should read his book. It's amazing. He writes this about Jesus' words. He says, the community of Jesus' follower, followers, the, the community of Jesus' followers is to be a model community living in obedience to God. This task of modeling obedience is an integral part of the church's mission. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The church, Hayes says, is a demonstration plot in which God's goodwill for human flourishing can be exhibited. God's goodwill for human flourishing can be exhibited, end quote. And so it's quite a marvelous thing to come to this familiar passage and hear what Jesus is saying to us. You are the salt of the earth. You, church, are the light of the world. You, Holy Trinity, are a city set on a hill. And there's a whole lot that I could say about this. And if you want to kind of hear a bit more of a traditional exposition of this passage, I encourage you to go back uh, to the sermon log a few months ago. I actually preached on these exact verses. Um, and talked about the images of salt and light. But this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different, a bit more of a spiritual meditation. But I wanted to begin with a word of encouragement, because while I was away the last couple of weeks, I sensed God inviting me uh, to relearn the language of gratitude (laughs) and in the midst of this season. And so I spent some time this week actually just sitting down and thinking about, for us as a community, what are the ways in which I have experienced or seen Holy Trinity as the salt of the earth and the light of the world in this season? What are little ways in which this is shone through? So I just wanted to share some of them with you. Uh, There have been people who have been able to engage in our worship, in our faith community for the first time in years and some decades because we are actually online in this season. So there are people that aren't believers who have been joining in, and there are people who have, ha- have autoimmune diseases and so can't leave their home who have been joining in. And so we have been able to be a light and a blessing and a presence to people who have never been able to join in before. I've seen people preparing meals for those that are sick or have new children they've welcomed into their family. I've seen people grieving alongside those who have lost parents in, their se- in this season. There have been a number in our church family. I've seen people selflessly taking care of in-laws who are ailing and have health issues. I've received, I don't know how many cards of encouragement and flowers from people saying, we are praying for you. We are praying for the church community. We are behind you. Uh, I had a member of the congregation contact me and said, hey, can I make a dollhouse uh, for your daughter? I haven't been able to see my granddaughter from some time, and I wanted to do this for her, so can I do it for you? I've heard of people who have had conversations with their neighbors who are really struggling in this season, and they have been a faithful presence to them. 
I've had people contact me saying, hey, I know people in our congregation, probably some are struggling financially. If you know of any needs, which there have been, let me know. I have money and I can support them. I mean, Hands to Feet, our mission partner with, with Karen Katsuara, she has continued to find ways for us through Mother's Day baskets and other things to support them. Our relationship with Sonora Elementary School and, and Christy DeVito working on that relationship, we're, we're now helping them kind of revamp their teacher's lounge and find ways to support teachers in this season. I have come across people who have said, in the midst of this social distancing, I have actually forged deeper friendships in our church through Zoom. Because instead of large group gatherings, all of a sudden it's been small face-to-face -face and we have to talk about the stuff of life together. <laughs> and so there have actually been friendships that have been deepening in this season, surprisingly enough. Children have been more involved in our worship services in reading and in praying and in sharing their gifts. I've come across beautiful art, especially music in the genre of lament that has come out of the pain and confusion of our society in this time. Real beauty in the midst of the ashes. I think the church at large and us as a people have been discovering what does it look like to have like really difficult but meet much needed conversations about hard topics but important ones um, in our community. And how do we learn how to lament? I've been discovering people who have been enjoying not really enjoying, but learning for the first time what it means to lament as God's people. And the list could go on, friends, but in all these ways, I just want to begin as we have a sermon on being the salt of the earth and the light of the world that I could go on and list like 50 different ways. It's not that we are perfect, we are far from it, but I could list so many ways in which you have been salt and you have been light to one another and to your neighbors in this season. And I want to encourage you with that. God is working in you. He has begun a good work in you and he is continuing to do that good work. And no matter what happens in the season, he's gonna complete that good work until the day of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged, my friends. You are salt, you are light, you are a city set on a hill. Now, so much could be said about these images, each one evocative, each one rich, each one resonates with meaning and mission and identity. But as I was reflecting upon this passage, I really couldn't get past Jesus' opening words. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? I just could not get past that question. How should its saltiness be restored? Now, I know that in context, Jesus kind of goes on to say, like, if salt has lost its taste, you, you kind of just have to throw it out and it's trampled underground. It's no good anymore. you got to get new salt. And that that's the context. But when I hear this question, how, if salt has lost its taste, how can its salt be restored? And he's referring to the church as the salt of the earth. I hear that within the larger biblical framework of God's redemptive narrative as being a really serious and deep question that's poised to, that's pointed to us. And I think the question that Jesus, that Jesus kind of points to us is that in the midst of a season where so much of our focus has been, as the church seems to be on, what are we going to do and when are we going to do it? It seems that Jesus is posing a different question to us. Who are we and who are we becoming? Who are we and who are we becoming. 
this was a question that was posed to me afresh as I was away this last couple weeks on holiday. I unplugged from everything, from email, from all the to-do lists. And in the midst of the silence and solitude, I sensed this reorienting of questions in my life. I realized that over the course of the last three or four months, I had been obsessing over what are we going to do as a church and when are we going to do it and how do we make the right decisions and just all the details of it in an ever-changing world. And it felt overwhelmingly complicated. And yet I think here Jesus is speaking to us about something about much deeper than what are we going to do. He is bringing us to the core of being and identity. He's saying, who are you? Who are you really? And who are you becoming in this season? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will its saltiness be restored? And we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus has this focus. I mean, we saw in the Beatitudes that Jesus focuses on who we are, who we're becoming, our character traits, before he ever focuses on our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our action plan. There's this sense that essential to the discipleship process, primary in the discipleship process, according to Jesus, is the formation of a new core identity in Christ. We accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We become children of God. And the chief aim of our life is to now grow in a new identity in Christ likeness. And so I wonder if we can sit with this question for a little bit. Who are we? Who am I? Who are we becoming? Who am I becoming? It's a searching question in the midst of a searching time. I mean, I think one truth of the last four to five months has been that it has revealed a lot about the human heart. The last four to five months has not all of a sudden been the human heart has changed, but I think it's the depths of the human heart have been exposed under pressure cooker situations. And all the beauty and vigor and resilience of the human heart has been highlighted as well as the pain and the anger and the disillusionment and the denial and the selfishness in this sense. Who are we and who are we becoming is an important question. As I was reflecting, like I said, on my holiday, I realized that even in my own life, I was beginning to mirror some of the anxiety and some of the cynicism and some of the anger of the culture around me. <laughs> that, that enough time um, with news feeds and enough time trying to figure out what to do going forward in this season, that my own heart was becoming more anxious and more cynical about the world around me. I needed silence and solitude to listen and to actually become aware of the fact that that was going in my on in my heart because I did not see it before. And then I needed that space to, to actually ask God, God, would you do something with my heart? Would you tend to me in this place? Would you make me salty again where I have lost my taste? So before going on any further this morning, I would just like to give us a few, a few moments uh, to reflect on what is happening in our own hearts and minds and souls and emotions this morning. As I realize that maybe you're like me and you've been too busy to find the time yourself, so let me help you by giving you a few minutes of my sermon time to reflect upon this.
And the way I want to do this is just to lead you through a very, very condensed version of St. Ignatius of Loyola's, Loyola's kind of prayer of examine. And I've taken this from Bishop Todd Hunter's book, Our Character at Work, towards the end. But we begin with scripture in silence. So, so take a moment to still your body and hear these words from Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search. God knows your heart. Ask God to reveal things in your heart and life that may be hurtful to you or to others. Knowing there is no condemnation in God's love. Where have the interactions and circumstances of your life been taking you in this season? Away from God or toward him? Then talk with Jesus about that. Converse with him about what you notice in your life. Feel free to ask for forgiveness or counsel or guidance. To give thanks. Or to simply know that you are loved and accepted and forgiven in Christ. And finally, abide. Acknowledge your need of God's abiding presence to live a God-honoring life in this season. And remember that God loves you, that he's faithful to you, and that his power is at work in you. In that context, now let's come back to Jesus' question. It's a searching and it's a searing question. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? I needed to ask this question in my own life over the last couple of weeks. It was difficult, but it's liberating to enter into it. And part of me wonders if this season that we're in and, and the exposure of the human heart this question is actually being posed to the church as a whole, to us as a community. Maybe Jesus is gently revealing ways in which our life and our communal life needs some restoration, needs some wholeness, needs some saltiness. And so I want to make just three kind of brief suggestions, maybe, on the human side about how it is that we may be able to lean into this. If we feel like we're in that place of losing some of our taste and wanting to keep our freshness and our flavor. And the first thing is just soaking in God, soaking in God. On vacation, I read two books. The first book was about forming habits of purpose in an age of distraction. And the second book was about the doctrine of God. 
God's omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, and love. Now, for a lot of people, that sounds dry. But, but the point of that was simply I needed my heart and my mind to dwell again in the deep goodness and delightfulness of God's life and character. I needed to be reminded that his being, who God is, is infinitely lovely is endlessly interesting and is abundantly captivating. I needed to be reminded that he is an ocean of joy and a fountain of life and a fire of blessing. God is light, says the Apostle John, and in him is no darkness at all. Every good and perfect gift is from above, says James, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything in our world may be changing, but God does not change. He is the blessed and only sovereign, says Paul, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, and to him belongs all honor and eternal dominion. As the church of Jesus Christ and as followers of Jesus, we will be salty to the extent that God is supreme in our hearts and minds and affections, and to the extent that we are satisfied with his goodness and his perfections. We will be light to the world to the extent that we delight in his goodness and in his light. And so I think our first invitation in this season when we ask, who am I and who am I becoming is, is just to focus on God, soak in God, rest in his goodness. And I think the second thing that may be posed to us is train your tongue, soak in God and train your tongue. Now, where do I get this? Interestingly, the only two other times in the New Testament where the language of saltiness is, is given any sort of meaningful description or expansion, it has to do with how Jesus' followers relate to one another, interestingly. Saltiness is connected to how Jesus' followers relate to each other. The first instance is Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Jesus connects saltiness with being at peace with one another. So the word peace comes up. Jesus says, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? There's this question. And he says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So saltiness has to do with being at peace with one another. And then in Colossians 4, 6, Paul picks up this theme of saltiness and relating to one another. And he applies it to the way that we speak to one another specifically. He says, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we get grace and peace is connected to saltiness, grace and peace, words filled with grace that cultivate relationships filled with peace. That is the New Testament's vision of what it means to be salty. So I think both Jesus and Paul invite us to pay attention to our words and the sorts of relationships that our words foster in the world. Does our Twitter account and our Facebook page and our text thread promote fear and anger and envy and anxiety and bickering and bantering? 
or does it speak grace and peace into the world? Is our voice a salty one, a redemptive one? And what sorts of relationships are we seeking to foster? You see, I think we're invited to soak in God, but I think we're also invited to consider our tongue, to train our tongue here by Jesus and by Paul. And finally, I think we are invited to be present to one another, to God, to one another, to the world. Now, this, there's an undeniable and, and painful hiddenness in this season. I think, I think one of the most difficult things of the season is the feeling of isolation and loneliness that, that many of us are experiencing. We are not seeing others in the way that we're used to. Even if we are in person seeing other people, it's, it has to be distance and with masks, and, and it just doesn't feel normal. And we are not being seen in the ways that we often long to be seen, even in our Sunday worship gatherings, and it's hard. And we don't know how long it's going to continue. And, and so all the questions, the really difficult ones arise, like how do we remain present to one another in this season? How are we light and salt and city set in, set in a hill? How do we encourage and build up and care for one another when it's really hard to know what the rhythms of doing life together are going to be in this season? They're tough and open-ended questions, and I don't have a bunch of good answers to them. But one of the things I've noticed, I think, in, in my own heart that I'm having to check, and I, and I think this could easily happen in communities as well, is that if we're not careful, the hiddenness and the kind of anonymity of our lives in this season can present a temptation toward apathy and then a temptation towards absence. Slowly but surely, we may just find it easier to go our own way and do our own thing. I was reading uh, the latest Barna poll and study uh, this last week, and it said that according to their studies, and they, they have really accurate data, they, they suspect that about a third of regular churchgoers in America are now no longer participating in their church's worship services on a weekly basis about a third. And I think part of the difficulty here is that people are just becoming exhausted in this season. It feels too difficult and too frustrating and too painful, and there's just way too much screen time. And so people are feeling kind of apathetic, and that is leading in some sense to an absence. And I totally get this. I mean, it's a tiring season and it's difficult. Yet the very images of being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, they are images of, of presence. Um, um, Jesus says, if, if a light is hidden, it's, it's, it's not giving light. Let your light shine. If, if salt is not applied to meat and food, it is not giving flavor. There has to be a presence of salt and light. We need to resist the pull towards absence. So one of the things that I think we're invited into is not only to soak in who God is and his goodness, not only to watch our tongues and consider the sort of relationships that they are fostering, but also once again to ask God to help us for creative and safe and wise ways for us to be present to one another, to be salt to one another, to be light to one another, and, and to resist the temptation towards apathy and absence that, that I think is really easy in, in this season. 
And it's along these lines that I want to kind of conclude our, our reflection with a prayer. It's a liturgy for the beginning of a purposeful gathering. And, and I've read it on many occasions, but I think it applies to this. The prayer goes like this. Wake us, O Lord, to be present to you and to one another in these shared hours we are given. For it is you, O Lord, who have so gathered us from our various places, and you alone, who know our hearts and our needs. And then I love the next couple stanzas. Among us are some who arrive anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain and sorrow. May we in our joys as a community find grace to enter the sorrows of others. And among us are some who are rejoicing, hearts made light by good news, good health, glad anticipation. May we in our sorrows as a community find grace to embrace the joys of others. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply. For each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and eternal. Precious and eternal. So my brothers and sisters, as a church, I think Jesus is presenting us a question, not only what are you going to do and what are you going to do it, but who are you and who are you becoming in this season? And is it reflecting to the world the Christ-likeness that we so desperately want the world to see and that the world, whether it knows it or not, is so deeply hungering for? My brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you this morning with joy in your presence and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.